YouTube TV is dashing our cord-cutting dreams, and Phil Nickinson is here to tell us all what to watch. That's the subject of our main story tonight as we take a deep dive into the life of the cord-cutter. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Welcome to episode 20 of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. You know, if you had told me 20 weeks ago that I was going to be recording episode 20 in July, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. So welcome to the celebration of 20 weeks of me. Some updates. As of now, all but two of our full interviews are available for listening on Patreon. So if you want a little more Jason Howell and Flo Ion, and let's be honest, who doesn't? You can hit the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. As for the two that are not available, the first one is Daniel Bader, who somehow didn't get uploaded to patrons on the first pass. Hehe. <laughs> Whoops. So he got uploaded on the 1st of July for patrons only, and he'll be available to everybody on the 14th. The other one is our interview tonight, Phil Nickinson, who's the BMOC over at whattowatch.com, a.k.a. the artist formerly known as cordcutters.com. And we'll get to him, but first, let's dive into the news of the week. Boy, so we're gonna start off with this fun one, eh? And by fun, I mean just what the hell? Brie Larson, aka Captain America, aka the world hates her because she had the audacity to star in a comic book movie and have boobs at the same time. Well, let's just say the world has not been kind to Brie Larson. I'm I'm fine with her. Her movie wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't Thor Dark World, so she's already ahead of the game. Anyway, Brie Larson thought that being attacked by every comic book boy living in his parents' basement wasn't enough abuse for her, so she's decided to start a YouTube channel. Just wow. So her first video, she gets on and has 20 minutes of Zoom calls with popular YouTubers asking her what kind of channel she should make, which is kind of... really? She's got a million views and 225,000 subscribers, and the video in question has 110,000 likes, but also 90,000 dislikes. Plus, folks around the web are accusing her of having a quote-unquote fake YouTube channel because she supposedly has a PR firm and a production studio helping her, and... Um, yeah, she's Brie Larson. Exactly why Miss Larson feels the need to subject herself to YouTube commenters is honestly beyond me. I can only speculate that her entourage just didn't tell her how crappy it is out there, and they decided they'd just handle it for her. I don't know. Meanwhile, I'm contemplating starting a YouTube channel of my own, but I have challenges ahead of me, like, you know, getting the right gear, and starring in a Marvel movie to help the numbers, and having the right places to shoot, you know, stuff like that. Earlier this week, Mike Pompeo, who is the Secretary of State, was interviewed on Fox News and he said that he was looking very closely at banning TikTok because of supposed ties to the Chinese government. The fear is that TikTok could have security implications since its parent company, ByteDance, is a Chinese company. And now that my nine-year-old is having a panic attack, let's take a look at this issue. This news comes just a couple of weeks after India banned TikTok in their country, supposedly over security concerns, but that move happened after a border skirmish between India and China, so... Right. Security concerns. You can't see it, but I'm winking. 
It seems more likely that this is another way that China is kind of B-slapping America tech companies. So first of all, whether or not this ban can or will actually happen is questionable at best. Plus, what security is at risk from TikTok? Is the US or India afraid that the Chinese government will learn all our stupid TikTok dances? Or maybe they're afraid that the Chinese government will learn how to lip sync badly. If you're concerned about spyware, the Apple App Store and Google Play Store both have safeguards against that. I just don't see the logic here except trying to keep a popular social media platform down because it was made in China. Wake up, USA. Most of our stuff is made in China. Adding to it, Amazon issued an email to all of its employees saying that TikTok was no longer allowed to be installed on phones that also have access to Amazon email. What? I suppose that there's a world where this makes sense. I'm just not sure that this world is that world. We got word this week that Apple may ship the iPhone 12 without a charger, and now other rumors suggest that Samsung may do the same. And on the one hand, it makes sense. Most everyone has a charger these days, except for people switching from iPhone to Android or vice versa. They'll just be screwed. Apple is even said to be developing a power delivery charger, and Apple probably won't ship that charger in the box either, and they'll force people to buy their fancy new one anyway. So instead, Apple's just going to save some pennies and make them buy it. Yeah, it's kind of a dick move, but what scares me is the inevitability of other manufacturers learning from Apple and jumping on board this no-charger train. Now, I can't say I blame Apple or other OEMs for wanting to skimp, but in a world of $1,000 smartphones, you wouldn't think a charger would be too hard to include in the box. There are a wide variety of chargers out there for your phone, and some new stuff like GAN charging and more, so maybe this makes sense? But honestly, it just kind of sucks, because while Apple and other OEMs will argue for the environmental friendliness of the move, on its face, it's nothing but consumer hostile and F you OEMs for cheaping us out on another accessory that, newsflash, people still need. This is the headphone jack all over again, and it sucks just as much. Over the week of 4th of July, Disney dropped a filmed version of the Broadway hit Hamilton onto its streaming platform, Disney+, Plus, which people noticed. Downloads of the app increased by almost 74% over the previous four weeks. So, you could say Hamilton is still a little popular. I watched it on drop day, July 3rd, along with my wife and folks. It's really good. Like, really, really good. Now, my wife says that it's a shame that I didn't get a chance to watch it in the theater, and I get that, but I particularly enjoyed the subtitles because them actors is rapping hella fast, and honestly, if I were watching it in the theater, I probably wouldn't have been able to follow it. So it was a great experience for me, and I didn't have to buy Hamilton tickets, which is always a plus because, well, I'm a podcaster. It's not like I have a hell of a lot of extra money laying around. This week, we got an announcement that the Samsung Galaxy Note 20 is coming on August 5th, or at least the announcement will come on August 5th. Who knows when the phone itself will actually ship. COVID-19 may affect Samsung's supply chain, but if not, you can expect the phone to ship around the 20s or so of August, which is right before IFA, or at least when IFA would normally be and will be this year in whatever form it will take. Getting back to Samsung, the announcement will be an online-only affair, with reviews surely dropping about halfway through the presentation. Hooray for headline chasing! The event will take place at 9 a.m. Central Time. The invitation says 10 Eastern, but hey man, Chicago. Just what we'll see from the note is subject to rumor and speculation, and you know how I feel about that. 
That being said, leaked photos of the device also came out this week, and it looks pretty attractive. We'll be doing a review roundup of the Note 10, because reading between the lines of the email Samsung sent me, I have as much chance as Tim Cook of getting one to review, so review roundup it will be. I promise, folks, I'll get up to the big boy level, but it's going to take some time, and you can help by telling your friends and leaving a review. We'll all get there together. Google pushed out a new experimental feature designed to limit JavaScript timer wake-ups in backgrounded Chrome tabs to one per minute. The result was an improvement in battery life by as much as 28% or two hours, and yikes! Safari already does this, so bringing Chrome up to Safari's level here will be nice, but jeez, two hours? I mean, I knew Chrome was a resource pig, but good lordy! The thinking here is that JavaScript timers in the background aren't really needed because, yeah, they're in the background. And since no one who has ever bought a laptop has actively hated the battery, this seems like a good change. The experimental feature is currently hidden behind the Chrome extension flags that really doesn't translate to audio, so just hit up the link in the show notes to find out how to turn this on. And for the love of Pete, turn it on! Walmart looks to join the ranks of subscription-based services as it appears the launch of Walmart Plus may be imminent. Walmart has been fighting with Amazon for years now since both offer a wide range of products on the cheap, but Walmart is only about one-eighth the size of Amazon if you can imagine Walmart of all places being dwarfed by another company. The new service is projected to cost around $98 per year, which is $21 less than Amazon's offering. The perks may include same-day grocery delivery, fuel discounts at Walmart gas stations, and possibly even a scan-and-go shopping experience at Walmart stores where customers scan products with an app and don't have to wait in line to check out. Analysts believe that Walmart's goal is to offer many perks for its Walmart Plus customers without outright copying Amazon so people won't put the two programs side by side and realize that Amazon's is so much better. It should also be mentioned that this still falls firmly under the credible rumor category, so nothing is official yet. And yeah, Walmart drew me into reporting a rumor. Damn it, Walmart. Things are not looking good for Quibye, the streaming service that Meg Whitman really wants you to watch only on your phone. Despite heavy marketing and some shows I'm told are interesting, I still haven't watched anything on Quibye. I'm still trying to catch up on Warrior Nun on Netflix, and you know how those nuns can be. Anyway, never fear, Meg Whitman. I still have my Quibye subscription because I forgot to cancel it before it auto-renewed. So yeah, if you're wondering who were the 10% of subscribers that didn't cancel, they were probably people who forgot to cancel like me. So Quibi will live for another month, maybe two, but it's not looking so good for the service. It was an interesting platform, but I wonder if it was a bit too niche. Because I like the idea of watching something in short 10-minute chunks, and I like the idea of watching one version in portrait and another version available in landscape. I'm just not sure I like those ideas together. Separately, they're interesting. Together, they're a very complicated elevator pitch, and if there's anything you want to avoid, it's a complicated elevator pitch. Twitter may be working on a sort of subscription service itself for its platform because it still hasn't figured out how to make money. Two job postings since removed point to Twitter trying to develop a subscription model for its platform. But just what that subscription would entail remains a mystery. It's codenamed Griffin, which is fun, but Dungeons & Dragons is probably not involved, which is a shame. 
Some think it could be a way for large corporations and organizations to get more detailed analytics, while others wonder if it may be a way to get ad-free feeds or even multiple feeds or personalized notifications on searches or trending topics. Still, others suspect that this could be some kind of Patreon-like service, and speaking of Patreon, benefitofadow.com slash support. Anyway, it could also be some kind of Patreon thing where you can support tweeters that you like, uh, kind of a sort of like a tip jar, I guess. Not sure where this is going to end up, but as you can see, there are a lot of possibilities here. Not a lot of good possibilities, but possibilities all the same. Amazon released a trailer for Season 2 of The Boys, and folks, if you have not seen Season 1 of The Boys, you need to go watch that right now. I mean, you know, as soon as this podcast is over, then go watch it, but it is so twisted. It is awesome. When asked to describe what The Boys is, I usually say, imagine the Justice League, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, etc., but with social media managers, corporate sponsors, and absolutely no moral center whatsoever. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Season 2 looks to be based more on the character of Billy Butcher, which is Carl Urban's anti-hero hero. And I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Season 1 focused mostly on the Supers and establishing just how terrible they all were. So Billy Butcher was in there in sort of small doses. I'm not sure how much I'll like him with more screen time, but I guess we'll see. The new season comes out September 4th, so I probably won't be working on September 4th. Cheers! When a Japanese regulatory body accidentally leaked some photos of the next Google Nest speaker, Google said, screw it, and released a better photo to a number of outlets. If there's going to be a narrative, better to just go ahead and control it. So control it, Google will. The new speaker looks like something of a hybrid between the original Google Home speaker and the Google Nest Mini. The main difference is that this device might contain a battery, making it portable. The new speaker is quite a bit taller than the original home speaker, but it looks like it can stand up or lay down, which is a nice touch. We have no idea when this device will be announced or shipped. Presumably it'll be alongside the Pixel 5, but we'll still see. Meanwhile, we're still waiting for the Pixel 4a or 4a 5G or whatever it's going to be called to be announced, so we've got some waiting to do. Overall, this new speaker doesn't really show me a compelling reason to upgrade over my OG Google Home. These days, I'm all about give me a screen or GTFO, you know what I mean? Last April, Logitech released the Harmony Express remote that incorporated Alexa into a smart remote designed to do all the things, just like a Harmony remote. It didn't go well. There were some limitations to the remote that apparently people didn't like. I personally had one, and I just stopped using it because basically it freaked the hell out anytime it lost power or internet, and the only way to get it back to working was to go through the whole setup process over again. So I just stopped. Well, now it's just stopping, as Logitech is retiring the device just over a year after its introduction. Further, it's removing all cloud services associated with the remote by September, so yeah, it will be a useless hunk of plastic before long. But not totally useless, because Logitech is doing right by its customers and providing either an upgrade to a Harmony Elite remote or a full refund for the device. Both are really awesome deals for Logitech customers, and are you paying attention, Sonos? I'll be exchanging mine, so I guess I'll soon have a remote that works. So that'll be fun. 
And finally, Gary Larson finally, finally put up a website as an official archive for all his Far Side cartoons. And if you're not familiar with the Far Side, you are really missing out. I think I reported on this, but I can't remember if it was for this podcast or the Digit Daily. Anyway, this week Larson released his first new comics in 25 years and... He's still got it. Head on over to thefarside.com to check out the new comic and all of his older work. And for now, the news is out. Phil Nickinson is one of the mainstays in the tech space, having worked with Mobile Nations and now Future for as long as I've been in the business. Now he's taking on cord cutting, even though people across the pond apparently have no idea what cord cutting is. In this talk, we start off with some breaking news and jump right into YouTube TV and its price increase. So let's just jump right into the chat. Our next guest on the podcast is a self-described recovering newspaper man who successfully navigated the waters over to online media. His past credits include basically the entire Mobile Nations catalog. He's the editor emeritus of Android Central, which is a fancy way of saying he don't do that no more. Most recently, he is the big potato over at cordcutters.com, your source for all things IPTV. When he's not showing you how to stick it to the cable companies with streaming TV, he's also a modern dad, a solar power user, and a smart home enthusiast. He shares my birthday, though two years later, and is a fellow beard wearer, Phil Nickinson. Welcome to the podcast. I had no idea we had the same birthday. How about yeah. that? December I mean, 30th? I don't know why I I'm, I'm spirit of 76, though, so I think I went up to you a little bit. Oh, yeah, you're a little older. I'm 78. I, I just made the bicentennial baby. <laughs> I, I, I think I got a, like, cert- a certificate or something for that, but it was well, like, yeah. F- fun fact about me was I was actually born six weeks early. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Yeah. okay. How about so, that? Yeah. So well, you want to break a little news to start things off? Let's break some news, baby. I have no idea when this is coming out, but theoretically, by the time it... <laughs> so long as it's not in the next you know, 12 hours... No, it uh, won't be. Cordcutters.com is actually about to go through a major rebranding. Really? How about oh, that? That's awesome. Let, tell me all about it, man. That is breaking news. Uh, a lot of it's kind of inside baseball. Uh, if anybody out there you know, knows Mobile Nations and how all that works, Android Central, iMore, um, Windows Central, former Crackberry, which is still up and running, I think. Um, so we got acquired, what, God, two years ago now? By, yeah, I was going to say, it's, called, been, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, by, by a company called Future, and they are a huge uh, UK-based, actually traditionally magazine publisher, Yeah, uh, but also do digital, and they do a lot of sites that you've heard of, and a lot of sites, it's funny, I'll be looking, I, I took up bicycling uh, okay. during the whole COVID quarantine shutdown, just because I hate riding a stationary bike and I can't run, so it's like, oh, I'll start riding my bike, because I bought a decent bike last year, and so I'm searching for all this cycling stuff, and it's like, wait a minute, that looks like one of our new sites. So like <laughs> sites like like Tech Radar yeah. and Tom's Guide and Laptop yeah. Mag, that's all us too. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I've known all those guys forever too, so it's fun. So uh, Cord Cutters is the first of our sites that's actually transitioning over. This is where the inside baseball comes in. Sure, it's transitioning over to their CMS and their framework and system and all that stuff. Okay, uh, because Cord Cutters basically, I started that a couple of years ago as a side project for Mobile Nations, and and we said, hey, we can actually make a little money at that, and, Let's and do we made it. it work. So now it's time to scale it, and that's what we're doing. So that's exciting. St- starting, I don't, I have no idea what today is. Starting Wednesday. <laughs> July 8th, <laughs> theoretically, sometime tomorrow, maybe, uh, it will become whattowatch.com. Wow. Okay. Well, How about it, that? In that case, Phil Nickinson, um, head big potato over at whattowatch.com. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. That's amazing. Thank you. 
That's Thank pretty you. cool. I'm, I'm going to have to get used to it. Yeah, it turns out cord cutters has like no meaning in the UK. Really? So, okay. uh, yeah, I had no idea, which is a really interesting thing. Like, I care less about the branding, I guess. I mean, I think Cord Cutters is a great brand and great so name. So do I, yeah. But it was more interesting that, that that just doesn't really mean anything over there. I guess mm-hmm. it's just streaming, probably. Yeah, yeah. This isn't really, I didn't really intend for this to be a state of cord cutting podcast, although it really kind of could be. This conversation is mostly spurred on by two things. Um, The first is YouTube TV raising its rates to $65 per month. And the second being, well, I finally got around to asking you to come on. So um, let's let's get that first thing out of the way. Um, I want, I just want to kind of get a feel as to where you stand on the YouTube TV thing. You wrote an article saying that it was a inevitable but you know maybe you can give us kind of a overview of that article like a tldr uh yeah so i wrote one a couple years ago after i don't even remember which service increased its rates uh and you know a couple things one you look at what you were paying for for any of these services back in the day and remember youtube tv started i think 35 dollars a month for the very 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 first users uh i wasn't even in that batch i couldn't get it here at that low okay uh, but i went back went back through my billing history and saw we started paying 40 dollars, and then it went up to i think 50 uh and now it's going to go up to 65 essentially sounds right and and when you look at the number of channels you get, and specifically the channels they're getting, they just added Viacom. Uh, I, I think one half of the Viacom batch, the rest are coming later. Yeah. Viacom is notoriously uh, expensive to license. But if you look at what you were paying, you know, like, how is YouTube TV only charging 35 or 40 or even $50 when all these other services have to charge so much more or they do right. charge so much more? So, you know, either one of two things are happening. Either all those other services are charging way too much and just, you know, the margin must be huge or YouTube TV is subsidizing as Google has been known to do from time to time. Occasionally, as, right. As they used to do with, uh, with you know, old school Nexus phones. They wouldn't be cheap, but they would be cheaper for a couple right. of years, right? So, you know, I get it. So they wanted to get uh, customers in. My big question right now is... What is the biggest streaming service out there? Uh, Hulu, surprisingly, back in December, took over the top spot with like it's, I think three point, it's either three point one or three point three million subscribers, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's with live. So the Hulu without live TV is like thirty three million or something like that. Um, but yeah. live TV, they, they give us the numbers, and it's like three point one, three point three. YouTube has told us they have more than two million. I'm waiting to know if it's more than that. And just anecdotally, like looking at internal cord cutters. Uh, numbers, which again, tiny site, right? It's not a huge site, even by you know by my standards, what I've been working in for the past ten years, right? Um, but but even that, it's been back and forth whether I see more traffic going to Hulu or more traffic going to YouTube stuff, uh, YouTube TV stuff. So I'm really curious if YouTube TV has taken over the number one spot. Uh, okay. If they're number if they're number two, Sling Sling is almost certainly number three, um, and I forget what their numbers are, but they've been dropping. Uh, and you know, at, at best, Sling is number two, but I'm I'm pretty sure they're number three. But YouTube TV has marketed a lot over the past couple of years. Yeah, uh, essentially every big like sporting championship series has been sponsored by YouTube TV. Right, uh, World Series the past couple of years, the NBA for sure. Um, maybe those are the big two. So it seems like these days, when it comes to cord cutting, there's actually, like, it used to be cord cutters and cable watchers, and then cord cutters seem to have evolved into two different categories there are those who 
still subscribe to an IPTV service like a YouTube TV or a Hulu TV. And then there are those who rely, like me, who rely entirely on on-demand programming like Netflix and um, Amazon Prime and Hulu and yada, yada, yada. So I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, you asked the question before, like, where are you saving money into that? Because, like, you know, back in the back in the day when I decided that I was going to cut the cord, we went with Sling TV because it was one of the cheapest and it still offered local sports. Sling TV doesn't offer local sports anymore. So, and like when they announced that, I just replied, "Literally, the reason I was keeping you, bye." And so, like, we've been even off of Sling TV forever, and so. It it just kind of makes me it makes me wonder is there are we ever going to reach a critical mass where it's just no longer viable to program linear TV anymore or is it just and are we ever going to switch over to the fully on demand style? Well, two I mean two things there I would throw a third category of people into the mix and and that's those who just don't know the difference like okay. my kids my kids don't know the difference between I mean I think maybe they do. But they don't really care whether it's on traditional linear TV or whether it's on demand or whether it's live. Like, it just doesn't, I don't think they, they comprehend the difference. Or, like, it's almost the, almost the difference to me between, like, broadcast and network. Like, for me, when I grew up, there was not a great distinction there. I, intellectually, I get it. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But I've basically, I had cable from the time I remember starting to watch TV. Right. Um, I, I do remember like the one old TV in my parents' room that had antennas, uh, but but for the content involved, like I don't care if it's a, a quote unquote broadcast network or a you know or a, or a, a you know a network network whatever it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's it's diminishing returns at that point. Um, <laughs> um, and it's very it, it's very much a generational thing, right? So just as my kids don't have the same distinction between linear and on demand. Uh, I don't have as much of a distinction between broadcast and network. Uh, the older generations really, you know, I'm, I'm 40, what, 41. I mean, really from like my parents' generation on up, they're not giving away their, their linear TV anytime soon. And it's funny, right. even when I'm watching stuff like, when, when, we, when we quote unquote cut the cord, and you know, that's when I started thinking, am I really watching that much TV? And when I'm in front of the TV, what am I doing? Am I just sitting there flipping and flipping and flipping and flipping and paying two hundred dollars a month to flip to flip and to flip? Like, like, how does that make sense? So, really, what the kids are doing is more economical. It makes more sense. You're not wasting as much time just flipping and watching what's on. But at the same time, there's a very different feeling. I have that feeling with HBO. I love HBO. There's almost always something on HBO that I want to watch. But I have a very... Hey, look at that branding. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Not quite. What to watch. Um, but I have a very different feeling from when I say, hey, look, there are five quote-unquote linear HBO channels, and here's something I want to watch on one of them, versus opening up HBO Max and, and finding something to watch. And it's weird how having those options, having a menu placed in front of you changes the way that you approach the thing that you're about to consume. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It makes me wonder, like, is there a difference between, like, flipping from channel to channel and, like, scrolling through the list of different shows that are available on Netflix? I, I kind of wonder what the psychological difference there is. There's got to be something, and I'm sure somebody's done a study of that somewhere. Uh, it's And it's funny how I treat the different services differently. Uh, I've made it a point 
as especially as we've been stuck home more often, uh, to try to watch different weird things that I might otherwise fly past, like on on Netflix. Right. Uh, so like a show like White Lines, which I thought was brilliant. It was done by the the same Spanish uh, producer, director, writer who did um, who did uh, Money Heist. And you know, you look at the you look at the thumbnail on it, and it looks like just one of those horrible reality shows of, of people in swimsuits all the time, which <laughs> you know I might or might not watch on occasion. Uh, but you know, I, I took the time to watch it. And it's like, holy crap, this is really good, actually. And I've run across a couple like that. Um, nice. So it, you really get out of it what you put in, I think. But yeah, I, I took a a long hard look at at the things we were spending money on, and. And especially when we were paying for cable TV and cable internet and, and saying, how do we cut back on this? Because it's, you know, $240 a month yeah. for two cable boxes and ISP, which is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, so, and, and now I have fiber, so I have faster speeds and, and you know, almost the same price and, and, and certainly no more. So that was the other side of this coin was you have to do the homework. You have to... Take stock of what's important to you. What channels are actually important to you, and are you actually watching? Like, are you ma- making the most out of your time, or are you just flipping? Yeah. Uh, and and then you got to make some tough decisions. And the cool thing, the really cool thing for me about the streaming stuff is they make it so easy to flip back and forth. You know, if if you're not watching something, uh, quit paying for it. And if you yeah, change for your a mind, couple months, yeah, yeah, I I do that with uh, CBS All Access, right? Like. I, I wanted to watch Picard. I watched Picard, and then I canceled it because there's nothing else I want to watch on it right now. That's going to change really sh- I really should do that with CBS All Access. But, and, and it really is amazing like what you can find. And So for me, it was for me and my family, cutting the cord was a philosophical shift that we just had to do in order to like stop going from linear TV and just going to on-demand stuff. Because like I said, we had Sling for a while, but... I mean, for Sling, we pretty much just used that for on-demand and sports. And then they dropped sports, and then we stopped using it entirely. But, like, my family was able to, you know, make the shift. And one of the reasons that I we, we originally did the cord cutter thing was when I was looking at, like, my family's usage of, of the TV, it was pretty much my kids were on YouTube and Netflix, and that was it. And, like, my wife and I, who, you know, occasionally did watch cable, but even I was predominantly on, like, Netflix and Amazon Prime and stuff like that. So I'm just like, you know what? This is not going to be that much of a shift. No, so- it's, it's really not. I mean, I mean, the biggest change for people, I think, is the speed of of the menus. Uh, and it's funny how that varies from device to device. But, like, can you flip channels as fast? Uh, what's the remote control situation? Right. That's a big one, right? It is. Uh, the Apple the Apple TV remote is horrible. The Roku remotes are okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm except for those Logitech stupid remote. pre-programmed buttons that accidentally launch Google Play vi- videos for yep. whatever reason. All the damn time. <laughs> yep. I actually uh, duct taped mine, uh, duct taped over mine, just to try to. Uh, so, pro tip for all my listeners out there. But anyway, um, okay. So, let me ask you this: of all the streamers that are out there. Who's doing the best job? And that includes both IPTV and just, you know, Netflix-style streamers. Like, which is the one that you point to, like, oh, yeah, they got it right? Oh, that's a good question. I uh, Willing to uh, expand the field to top two, top three? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of the older generation, I would say... I would say I prefer Netflix, just the overall experience the most. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really good content. I think they have more content that ends up being better 
than Amazon. Amazon has a lot of just like really bad B and C and D level stuff. They do start searching <laughs> really, through things. Their their original stuff is pretty it's pretty tight though. But but Amazon wins out uh, in Netflix. You know, a close second, but they're they're sometimes doing things differently. Um, uh, in terms of stream quality. So Amazon also has Amazon Prime Video Channels, which they've been marketing a little more in the past couple of years, even though it's, mm-hmm. it's a mouthful to say and a little tougher to understand. If you have Amazon Prime Video, you have access to Amazon Prime Video Channels, but those are completely separate. It's a separate fee. It's a separate subscription that's managed yeah. through your Amazon account. So it, it all gets billed through Amazon. It's the same thing that Apple's doing with uh, Apple TV Plus Channels. Uh, funny how the the names kind of line up there. It so is. It's, it, you get access to these things through an existing account. That's great. Uh, and and from what I've seen, other people have, have done the heavy lifting here. Uh, but generally speaking, Amazon will have a higher bit rate for stuff like that. That was a big question as, um, as uh, oh, yeah, what just launched? Is it going to stream better? Oh, it was HBO Max. Uh, is HBO Max, yeah, like, is it, is it going to look better, uh, you know, than you know HBO Go and HBO Now did, and those always look better through Amazon than they did anywhere else. So it was really weird. Uh, so Amazon and, and Netflix are, are are doing it the best, I think. I I love the Netflix interface. I know some people hate it. I love the autoplay previews. I think anyone who hates those things is just wrong and abnormal. Oh wow! Uh, I, All right. Yeah, I I like not having to go click three more things to see a trailer. Uh, so the, I get the, that. And surprising, I get that. yeah. I mean, I get it. If it bugs you, it bugs you. Um, gotcha. But yeah, gotcha. those two have done really well. I'm. I like HBO Max. I like the idea. So help us find. I don't know what to watch. Yeah, I've 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 started a list of like the best things I've watched this year, and it's it's been really fun to see what's on it. You know, Devs is on it. White Lions is on it. Zero 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 on Amazon Prime Video was so good. It was excellent. It's, it's the story of. Um, of a cocaine shipment, a very large cocaine shipment from Mexico to uh, Europe. And it tells a story through the lens of the buyers, the sellers, and the brokers. Really? And it's just, it's it's really, really well done. Yeah, it's, it's based nice. off a book by a journalist, by an Italian journalist. Okay. Um, there's there's so much good stuff out there. There really is. And, and, and it's all available through, you know, a, what, would, what would be considered a traditional cord cutter unless you live in the UK, in which case it's just stream, streaming. Yeah. But... <laughs> So let me ask you this. Um, if you were forced to cut one streamer from your current lineup, who would it be? And, and, and if you don't want to be the bad guy, I'll, say, I'll ask the question this way. If one of the streamers you currently use shut down, who's, who shutting down would make you the least upset? Ooh, that's a good question. It would probably be whatever I'm using for linear, actually. Okay. Uh, just because everything else is, is usually available some other way at this point. Okay. Um, live... Live sports, you know, isn't so much a thing right now. And I'm not a baseball guy. I'm not a basketball guy. Um, we watch football. We watch soccer. Um, so, you know, there's probably another way to get those right now, especially now that Peacock's ramping up. Uh, that will help. Uh, ESPN Plus has been a huge thing there. So, yeah, I, w- I would actually probably say the linear because most everything else is available on demand at some point. And we don't watch a whole lot of uh, primetime stuff, especially like when the kids are back in school. You know, the TV's generally not on. Yeah, who are you hours. using for linear these days? So I'm still using YouTube TV. You are okay. Uh, yeah, it's I've and I've used them all at some point. Um, Sling, I, I, I just can't I can't <laughs> get over the Sling menu system. I hate it. It bugs me. It does. It, it bugged me too when we used it. <laughs> 
I used um, AT&T TV now for a little bit, and it's pretty good. It's, it's, it's not bad. It's just so expensive compared mm. to everybody else. So if, uh, if someone was going to cut the cord for the first time, they were going to dump the cable company and, and, and strike out on their own, what would be the first, uh, first piece of advice that you'd give them? Take stock of what you're watching and, and, and really think about what is it you're trying to do. Are you just trying to save money? If you're trying to save money, that's great. You can absolutely do it. You're just going to have to cut way back. Right. If you want ease of use, then the cable company might well be your best bet, right? One box, one remote control. You know it's going to have a menu that works pretty well. and you'll, you'll be able to get your on-demand stuff. You won't have to worry about whether it's on Netflix or on Hulu or on Amazon or wherever. Um, that doesn't mean you won't necessarily need you know different services because you will because Netflix and Amazon do things differently. Um, that was the other you know reason why I had no problem switching was, well, I'm already bouncing out into all these apps anyway and I need some way to run all these apps. Right, right. Um, but yeah, take stock and then you got to do the math. Right, you you got to make sure that the money. If if you're trying to save money, you got to make sure you're actually saving money. And, mm-hmm. and right now, I might not be. We haven't done that math in a little while. Yeah, and 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 actually, I'll I'll add to your I'll add to your advice. Double check your cable com or your internet company and make sure that you have unlimited bandwidth. Because yes. if you don't, you can probably pay for it, but that's going to add to your overall cost. We found that out the hard way. <laughs> Yeah, we started hitting, when we had cable internet, we started hitting the one terabyte cap, you know, pretty quickly, especially uh, last summer when the kids were home. Yeah. And then now that I have, you know, fiber, it's like, well, I think they were going to charge an extra $20 a month to not have a cap. Might not have been, might not have been that much. Uh, But it's like, no, I I can't have a cap, especially when you have that fat of pipe coming into the house, you're going to hit it in like two days. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. They've they've got to get rid of those arbitrary caps. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was a, that was the thing is, you know, when we first cut the cord, you know, I was with AT and T for uh, for internet service, and like I got a notification on, I don't know, it was like the twentieth of the month saying, "Well, you're about to hit your cap," and I'm just like, "What cap?" <laughs> and so like I called them, I'm like, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, since you don't have our cable service anymore, you have a, ca- a data cap." I'm like, "Oh, that's not good." Well, and, <laughs> so, and here's the dirty little secret, right? If if you do do the math and it looks like you're you're spending more than you want to, call and talk to them. Um, I'm not saying call up and be a dick about it, right? But but just be like, hey, look, I'm spending more than I want to. What can you do for me? Yeah, because they have a thing called retentions, and they will do whatever they can do to keep your business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and maybe they can't, but but generally speaking, they are more than happy to work with you, especially if you're nice about it. Um, you know, it, maybe it'll just be as simple as, hey, you know what? Yeah, we can give you a deal for the next year, and then call back a year later and threaten to leave. So, all right. So I got one last question for you. Are we ever going to see? a time when we can actually have true a la carte TV. Is that even no. possible? No, yeah, it's absolutely possible. No, they're never going to do it. <laughs> okay. There's no money there. Um, I mean, you got to think of how that business works, right? Uh, the providers, the services that aggregate all this stuff, uh, YouTube TV, Sling, you know, all of them, they are buying those channels from somebody else. They're going to get better deals. They're going to get better rates on packages, right? So Viacom says, look, we know you want Comedy Central. That's fine. We'll give you a better deal if you take these 10 other channels with it. Right. And right. that's just the way it works. And then yeah. they have to pass that cost on to us. We will never, ever, ever get proper a la carte TV. Just not mm. going to happen. 
It's a damn shame. And, I, you know, that's one of those questions that I already knew the answer. But, yeah. but it, it, Look, it was I, worth asking. I hope I'm wrong. I really do hope I'm wrong there, but I don't think so. Yeah, it seems like Sling... And it seems like, just from what I've seen, there's there are two different ways that these IPTV services can go. There's the YouTube and Hulu model, where they raise prices every now and then, but they add channels because of it. And then there's a Sling model, where they keep the price the same, but they're going to start cutting services slowly and, sh- and surely until you get to the point where you cut out live sports and then you get me people like me leaving because hell no so well, and you, um, you yeah. have other services that we didn't even talk about like philo which is what twenty dollars mm-hmm. uh you know it, it's a real small you know number of channels there's another one called friendly tv uh, that's even fewer channels and even less money. Uh, Fubo TV was another one that tried to go cheaper and they did for a while, uh, but then you know they started adding channels. And now they've got all the Disney channels coming and and they just raised their rates and and they're not making any money. And in fact, they just did their quarterly statement yesterday and and said we don't plan on making money anytime soon. And it's a little scary and. It, it kind of sounded like they want somebody to come buy them. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, w- I would be on the lookout for that at some point. Okay. All right. Well, Phil Nickinson, head potato of whattowatch.com or the newly branded whattowatch.com. I want to thank you for coming on to the show and uh, hopefully we can have you on again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. And I realized I must have been off my game because I never gave Phil a chance to tell you where you can find him. So thank you to Phil for coming on. And you can find him at his newly rebranded whattowatch.com. On Twitter, you can find him at moderndad, that's M-D-R-N-D-A-D, and what's on future. I don't believe I've said this before, but you can actually find me at Dead Technology or Benefit of Dowd on Twitter, and co-producer Cliff can be found at Clifton M. Thomas. And as always, most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>